Hey everybody, welcome to West Seattle Christian Online. If you're new, welcome. If not, welcome back. And today is the second to last message in our Revelation series, and we're looking at the letter from Jesus to the church in Philadelphia. Uh, it's the second to last letter in the seven letters uh, from Jesus himself in chapters two and three in the book of Revelation. And as we've looked at these letters uh, in chapters two and three, we realize that Jesus comes to these communities with words of encouragement and words of correction. And what's interesting is that Jesus only has good things to say to this church in the city of Philadelphia. Next week, however, not so much when we get to the letter to Laodicea. But many of you perhaps know that the name uh, Philadelphia means the city of brotherly love. The city that's in Pennsylvania in the United States uh, got its name from the Philadelphia that we're talking about today that was in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. So before we begin, I want to tell you to pay attention because what we're going to talk about today is really relevant to all people in all places in all times throughout history, even now, because uh, we're going to talk about how to deal with discouragement. And specifically for those who profess to be followers of Jesus, we're going to be talking about the type of discouragement that comes when we're going through things in life and we look at the, at the calling, the mission that God has for us, and it just kind of feels impossible. It's what I would call um, mission uh, discouragement. In other words, how do we deal with uh, discouragement in, uh, when we're looking at getting the mission uh, done that God has given us? So before we dive in, let's cover a little background to set the stage of the passage that we're going to read today. First, I want to remind you of something we've brought up in every teaching in this series, that and that's that Jesus uses images and symbols from the culture of that day, and he places them alongside images from the Old Testament. Specifically, he uses these images uh, from whatever particular city he's writing to. For the people who were receiving this letter originally, this makes certain unavoidable connections for them that would have been really profound. And that said, here's Philadelphia on the map that we've been using for this series. This map shows that each of the cities Jesus writes to are major influential cities that are on a major trade route uh, in the Roman Empire. And besides being located on this major trade route, Philadelphia was also on a postal route that went from Rome all the way across, from all the way from the west, all the way over the east to places like Tarsus, where Paul was from, and Antioch. And Philadelphia was kind of the last populated place, the big population center, before you went further into the less populated interior of the mountains. If you were traveling west through Asia Minor then, going towards Rome, the first major population center that you would come to was Philadelphia. And because of that, it was given a nickname. It was called the Door to Asia Minor, or sometimes just the Door. And even though most Christians at this time were from a Jewish background, Philadelphia is yet again another city that had a group of Jews that had a lot of hostility towards Christians. And in Revelation, we see that Jesus uses the term synagogue of Satan for those groups of Jews that are persecuting Christians. We saw him use that phrase in his letter to the church at Smyrna as well. Another thing to know is that Philadelphia had been destroyed over and over again, actually by earthquakes. In 17 AD, there was a huge earthquake that leveled the city, and it just it completely destroyed 10 other cities. They had to get aid from Rome and the Emperor Tiberius, and he gave them money to rebuild. Well, actually, he, he didn't do that per se. What he really did is he said that Philadelphia and the surrounding region didn't have to pay tribute to Caesar and Rome for five years so that they could use what they would have had to pay kind of in taxes to help fix up their own town. 
Because of that, they thought that was pretty generous, and they started calling Philadelphia Neo-Caesarea because he was the Caesar. So they had some help. And then a couple decades after that, the same thing happened again. Another earthquake, and the emperor at that time was Vespasian. He was part of the Flavian dynasty, and so there was a campaign at that time because of his help to rename it Flavia, Flavia. But it wasn't successful, and the city kind of reverted to its Greek name, Philadelphia. Then later on in 92 AD, the emperor declared an edict to protect the vine growers of Italy, forcing vine growers in other parts of the empire to cut down half their fields and replant them. And that did not go over well in places like Philadelphia or any other place except Italy. So by the time the letter of Revelation arrived, the city had been renamed and rebuilt several times. And even though it had been helped, in essence, the emperor, who considered himself a god, had basically betrayed the city as well. So Philadelphia has these history of these name changes, kind of a tumultuous history. And in ancient times, your name was connected to your identity, whether it was you personally or whether it was the name of the city. So the point here in the letter is that Jesus provides a better and more lasting name, one that sticks with his followers because he sticks with them. And then there's also this kind of contrast between the powers that be that can betray you and Jesus, who will never betray those who confess his name, even if they're weak, even if they're rejected by the culture. So we're talking about the idea of being discouraged in our mission today. And there is an interesting connection between our experiences and the names that we give ourselves. And what I mean by that is when discouraging things happen to us, the way we see ourselves is affected. In fact, our identity is affected. And the same thing happens when encouraging things happen to us. But the context of this letter paints a picture that these people were going through a discouraging and difficult situation. Here's how I would encapsulate this idea. Our discouraging experiences and hardships shape our identity. They name us. So this renaming happened to the city of Philadelphia literally because of being destroyed by earthquakes and then being rebuilt. But the believers in Christ in the city were also experiencing hardship. And Jesus wants to make sure that they know where their identity lies and that their true identity in Jesus gives them strength to continue and to endure. So yes, our, our discouraging experiences name us. They name us. So we need to make sure we're getting our new name from Jesus. And there's a process here where Jesus does some work in our lives and in our hearts if we let him. So let's take a closer look at the letter, starting in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. All right. So right at the end of this section of the letter, Jesus commends this church for their patient endurance. And apparently they've been through a lot. Persecution from the Roman Empire, just like in all the other letters that we've examined so far. Persecution from Jewish groups that are there. Jesus tells them, I've got you. Remember, 
in the trials that are coming also, I will still be with you. And at the beginning of this section of the letter, Jesus gives himself a title again, just as he did in the previous letters. He calls himself, I'm the one who holds the key of David. Well, this is a reference to Jesus being the Messiah. He is the descendant of King David. It was promised in the Old Testament that the descendant of King David would rule over all the nations of the earth. He is this prophesied heir. The one who holds the key of David is the Messiah. So in other words, Messiah equals anointed one. In those times, if you were anointed, you were set apart for a specific purpose. And in this case, Jesus is chosen for a specific task. And that task is to open a door. And once he opens that door, no one can close it. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, Christians, you are living in a city that's called the door. You are a, a doorway to a whole mission field that I want to reach. And he's encouraging these believers in their mission. They've had a hard time, but he doesn't want them to forget that the door is still open. There are still people who need to hear the good news of Jesus. They are right on the edge of this whole mission field. And we need to be reminded of that as well. Because it's easy to look around and get discouraged. But we still have a mission, believers. West Seattle Christian Church still has a mission. And we need to address, not ignore, but address any and all discouragement so we can accomplish our mission. The Messiah, the Anointed One, has chosen us. He has anointed us for a task, just like he has been anointed. And that task is to reach the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So are we going to let discouragement and a lack of strength hold us back from stepping through this door that God has for us? No, this, is, this, this door of God's mission is before us. So moving on, if you look at the next couple of verses, 11 through 13, it's pretty interesting. I want you to look at how many times he mentions the concept of naming. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus encourages them again, hold on to what you have so no one will take your crown. He says he's going to make the believers into pillars in the temple of God. What's that mean? This That's really just a reference that goes way back to when Solomon was building the temple in Jerusalem uh, in the Old Testament. Let's take a look at 1 Kings 7 to get an idea of what he's saying here. And this is starting in verse 13. King Solomon then asked for a man named Huram to come from Tyre. He was half Israelite since his mother was a widow from the tribe of Naphtali and his father had been a craftsman in bronze from Tyre. Huram was extremely skillful and talented in a work in any work in bronze, and he came to do all the metalwork for King Solomon. Huram cast two bronze pillars, each 27 feet tall and 18 feet in circumference. And skip down to verse 21. Huram set the pillars at the entrance of the temple, one toward the south and one toward the north, and he named the one on the south Jachin and the one on the north Boaz. This is kind of a really unique and amazing image for Jesus to use. Solomon has this craftsman make these huge pillars and he places them at the door to the temple. Jesus is saying, just like Solomon placed pillars at the door of the temple, I have placed you, my church in Philadelphia, at the door of my mission field. And what does Solomon do after these pillars are placed? He names them. Jacob means God establishes or God places and Boaz means strength or God's strength. 
So if you think about what is said in Re Revelation 3.8, it says, I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Just a side note, I actually know a church planner friend of mine, a pastor who his church, they named it the open door, which I thought was just excellent. Friends, just in case you need another reminder, God is the one who has uniquely placed us where we are and strengthened us for the task that he's given us. And these believers in Philadelphia have been placed at the door and strengthened for God's mission. And we also have been established and strengthened by God like pillars in the temple. That's our name. That's our identity. And Jesus says, never again will they leave the temple. The pillars aren't moving from the temple. The temple represents God's presence. And this is another way of saying that God's presence will always be with us. It's always going to be with us. It's a really powerful promise. And I know that, that many of us have gone through discouraging circumstances and that those discouraging circumstances and experiences have named us. Whatever your experience has been, whether it's you losing your job or your kids making bad decisions or divorce or you've lost someone, a loved one, or bad health issues, or abuse, or addiction. The list can go on and on. These things have named us, and we have to address this discouragement if we're going to go on to accomplish this mission. So let's do this. Let's make a list of the new ways that Jesus has named us. And here's what we have so far. God has established us where we are. You aren't here by accident. Jesus has a purpose for your life. God has strengthened us for his mission. It isn't by our strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that we reach the world for him. And that's good news because we get discouraged and the task seems impossible, but God's strength is unlimited and never ending. Jesus has promised his presence to us. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says we'll never, we will never again leave the temple of God. It's not a literal temple. It's the fact that we always have God's presence with us wherever we go. So you're not alone in your struggle. Your struggle has a purpose. God still has a plan for your life. And that's really, really encouraging stuff for me. I hope it is for you too. Notice that there are three different names that the believers are given in this passage. They're given the name of God, the name of the city of God, which is called the New Jerusalem, and they're given the name of Jesus himself. Three different names. The other significance of names is that names symbolize belonging and relationship. If you think about it, we put our names on things that, that we own. Uh, we have the same last names as the people in our family. We identify with certain sports teams. We wear their names and their logos on, on our clothing to connect with that community. Names and identity are closely connected for us. So when Jesus says, you're going to have my name and the name of God written on you, he's saying, you belong. You belong to me and you are part of the family. So we can add that to the list too. Jesus says we are his and we belong in his family. Well, to wrap this up, let's add one more thing to the list. Uh, and to do that, we have to go back, make a jump back into the Old Testament again. He says, uh, I'll write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. Uh, that's what he says. That's a bit weird, I think. What this really is doing is going back to Isaiah and in chapter 62 in Isaiah, Jesus is reinforcing what's said there. And Isaiah is used a lot in, in the book of Revelation. And in this passage, Jerusalem, the city, is what's being addressed in Isaiah 62. So anytime you see the pronoun you in this passage, it's referring to the whole city. It's addressed to the whole city. 
But as you go through it, you start to realize that this passage, it's talking about Jerusalem as a city, the city of God. But it's also talking about all believers. It's talking about all the people of God. And then when you see the name Zion, Zion is the name of the hill that Jerusalem is built on. So let's read this passage for a second and let it sink in. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah, which means my delight is in you, and your land Beulah, which means Mary. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be merry as a young man marries a young woman. So will your builder marry you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. So will your God rejoice over you. This passage is about new names for the people of God. It says, no longer will you be called desolate or deserted. Have you ever felt desolate or deserted? But God now says, you're going to have a new name. You are no longer called desolate. Instead, you are called God's delight. You're no longer deserted, but now you are God's bride. So it's in this passage from Isaiah 62 where Jesus says, he takes that into Revelation 3 and he says, these names that are given to Jerusalem are given to you as believers. In verse 11 of chapter 3, Jesus says, I am coming soon. And he also mentions this crown of splendor. And he mentions that same crown in Isaiah 62, verse 3. So Jesus talks about the new Jerusalem. And this new Jerusalem shows up at the end of Revelation in chapter 21. And I want to read that to you as well. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. No longer deserted, in other words. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So this new Jerusalem shows up like a bride on her wedding day. And Jesus is the husband who is delighting in seeing her. Revelation 21 is a vision of things to come when all pain and death and suffering and persecution and yes, even discouragement will stop. They will cease. So we can add one, this one final thing to the list. Jesus has a future for us beyond discouragement. Now we can take a look at this list that we've built from the letter to the church in Philadelphia. And if you're a believer, be reminded that you already have all of this in Jesus. You've got to claim this list. Write it down. Pray through it this week when you feel discouraged. Cling to these promises. And if you're listening to this or you're watching this and you're not yet a believer, I want you to hear this. You don't need to walk through it alone because Jesus wants to walk with it, with you through it, through whatever it is. And we want to walk with you through it. So if you have yet to place your trust in Jesus for the first time, I encourage you to do that today because Jesus offers forgiveness. Jesus offers a fresh start. 
My friends, let's just let's address our discouragement today so we can accomplish our mission. Jesus is the one who establishes where we are. He's the one who gives us strength. He offers us these amazing promises. And that's what I want to leave you with today, these encouragements because of that. So for people who've been named, if that's you, by discouragement, may you realize that Jesus has a new name for you. May you accept it, take it, own it. May you know he wants you right where you're at. May you believe God has strengthened you for mission. May you know Jesus is with you. His presence will never leave you. May you remember and be filled with joy that we are his and we belong to his family. And may you have faith that Jesus has a future for you beyond discouragement. I'm Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian Church Online. Stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit, my friends.